Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday, December 29, 2022. Thanks for listening, by the way, on the America One Radio app and AmericaOneRadio.com. My email address for the show is ron at ronshowatl.com. The show phone number, you want to call, leave a voicemail, comment, text a comment, you can do that as well. 404-919-2725. As I mentioned uh, at the end of last segment, next Monday, Dr. Michelle Ow joins the show. And uh, the reason I reached out to her, I saw that she had uh, posted on Twitter that she was going to be taking a leave of absence from her job as a doctor, as a physician, to uh, work in the state house, be in the General Assembly, to serve her constituents. She's fortunate she's able to do that. She met her husband, by the way, in medical school. I imagine uh, that that's a similar field he works in as well. Uh, and so they're a little fortunate that she is in a position that she can take a leave of absence for upwards of four months. Well, I guess three months until April, she said. And so that was one of the questions I wanted to pose to her. Well, how, how does someone who can't afford to leave their income, how do we get more just average Joes, average Janes uh, to serve at our state legislature if they can't afford a leave of absence like that? So that's how we came to discussing having her on the show, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, as I've talked about here, you know, since the outset of today's show, uh, just railing on the deplorable housing situation in the apartment offerings in Atlanta, I definitely want to bring this to her attention. Because I get, listen, she's a passionate, bright woman, and she talks a lot about healthcare for those who can't afford it. Obviously, that's her wheelhouse. But I have a feeling that we're going to have in Dr. Al an advocate for the working class and the poor and maybe one that for some reason will get more attention. I mean, she's got a strong social media. I'm very excited about having Dr. Al on next Monday, I guess I could say. I wanted to get back to talking about the uh, the apartment situation, and uh, you heard me last segment talking a lot about the obstacles that exist for folks who are stuck in a chronic rent cycle, why they can't get out of it. And there are obstacles that exist beyond what I've even talked about, just uh, the fact that paying your rent doesn't go on your credit, which means that if you're under a 600 credit score because you have really no means to generate credit anywhere else, if you don't have excess income... Who's going to give you a credit card to create credit with or to make a, a car payment with? You're not going to get approved for a car loan. It's really, really hard to do when your rent isn't factored into your credit. Obviously, down payment is a deterrent. I tell people all the time, by the way, and listen to me when I say this. If you are renting and you put down first and last month's rent, especially with rent being what it is today, if you have that kind of money for first and last month's rent, you have 3% to put down. That first and last month's rent is going to be pretty close to 3% anyway, right? And in general, if you have a real estate agent, a savvy realtor such as myself, and we schedule the closing at the right time of the month, you're basically going to go like a month, month and a half without a mortgage payment anyway. So there's your other 1% if you're short. See? Yeah, ding. Did that just turn a light bulb on for you? Yeah. If the down payment is the deterrent, a conventional loan requires 3% down for a first-time home buyer. Just 3%. 
and your first and last month's rent are generally going to be at least 2%, if not more. And then when we schedule that closing on the right day of the month, and you get about a six, seven week gap before you make the first payment. Well, there you go. You got the you got the other one percent down. Uh-huh. Talk to me about this. If you ever want to talk to me about real estate, I'm here for it. Uh, my email address is Ron at ronshowatl.com, but I also have one for the uh, real estate portion of my life, and that is Ron at Ron on the real R-E-A-L.com. Glad to talk to you about that. I want to go back to something that I pointed out last segment as well about, in general, how much money you make when you purchase a property in Atlanta and then live in it. Uh, again, I mentioned just in a generic term, just to make the math simple, because it works no matter what the value is. In general, in Metro Atlanta, if you bought a house for $200,000 and you decided to sell it in 2020, it was worth $300,000, $100,000 you made. Now, if you bought a, a $300,000 house, in general, it meant that it grew in value to $450,000, $150,000. In general, you made about 50% of what your home was worth when you bought it back in 10 years' time. Your home was worth 150% of what you bought with, with what you bought it for. So that's money you made while living in a house. What $100,000 do for uh, a young family who had just enough to purchase a home for $200,000, which back in 2010 got you, you know, a decent house in it, in Metro Atlanta. And then spent 10 years in it and their 8-year-old daughter was graduating high school 10 years later and off to college. What would $100,000 do for a family with someone going to college? It would pay for college. <laughs> it would more than pay for college. It would pay for college. Y'all it would pay for college. It would also go towards potentially buying a, an income property. If you wanted to do that, you could take that money and buy an income property while going off and buying your own, your own next place. You'd have excess money to purchase another house and then purchase an income property. And you can become the landlord that I'm going to rail about in this show. No, you wouldn't do that, though. You would take care of your property because, you know, wouldn't it be nice to own like the house next to yours? And that way you've got an eye on it and you you know, make friends with your tenant and things will be all nice and harmonious and they'll invite you over for dinner so you can see that your place is still well-maintained and taken care of. <laughs> but an income property is another source of income for that family that back in 2010 scratched and clawed and made a $200,000 home purchase with a mortgage and then sold it 10 years later. And then look at you. You got your job. Your spouse has their job. You've got your income property as well that you're making money off of. While it grows equity wealth, say the next 10 years, lo and behold, you're sitting on two pieces of property that are giving you that 150% return on the investment. In 20 years time, look what you've done. And the sad fact of the matter is, for a lot of folks, it's just not within reach because our credit system doesn't acknowledge rental payment. And in all candor and honesty, it wasn't until like the 1990s we started dealing with lending bias within the lending institution. There's a, uh, there is a, a, a great Pulitzer Prize winning piece that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution did. I think it was called The Color of Money back in 1989, I believe. Atlanta, a majority-minority city, was rife. Lending institutions here were rife with lending bias 
for lend uh, for for potential lendees of color. That wasn't all that long ago. I mean, that's like back when my parents were getting a first loan on the house that they bought when I was a kid. And that has an impact on future generational wealth, right? My grandmother, when she passed, left the town home to her grandkids that we sold eventually. That's, that's additional money that went to future generations. In fact, it's sitting in an IRA that is growing wealth for my nephews. If the youngest one wants to go to college, there'll be money for him to go to college. If the oldest one wants to buy his first place, there's money. Do you see what I'm saying? And for potential home buyers of color back in the 1980s in Atlanta, y'all, a lot of folks were being denied for no tangible, logical reasons except for the color of their skin. Fast forward to today, and much of that bias is gone in our lending. However, you still see headlines. This is just infuriating. You still see headlines where homes owned by African Americans that are up for sale get appraised at lower values than homes owned by non-people of color. And you're thinking to yourself, well, how do the appraisers know? Well you don't take the pictures down, they find out. It happens. If you live in a majority-minority community or neighborhood, it's going to affect your appraisal value. It sucks. It just sucks. And it's, it's at least heartwarming to hear that this stuff gets called out more often, uh, that the wrongdoers are publicly shamed and humiliated as well they should. It's 2022. This is the sort of stuff we should not be dealing with. So we're constantly policing ourselves, not just in the real estate industry, but in the lending industry, the appraisal industry, to make sure that we are adhering to fair housing laws. But getting back to the original premise of today's show and the AJC opinion piece, Without oversight, similar oversight for the corporate landlord or the landlord period, a tenant just doesn't have much standing to see to it that the dwelling they live in is maintained well enough that it's habitable. And as the editorial piece cited today, not a signal to criminals that no one's paying attention. This is a good spot to set up shop. And without the sort of tenants' rights to withhold rent until repairs are made, these communities become blights that people live in. They're just money makers for the owners, but become more dangerous for the people that live in them without any repercussion on the person or company that owns the property in the first place. And I'm telling y'all, in Metro Atlanta, as I said, in general, property makes money over 10 years' time. You buy a property, whether you do anything with it or not, it's going to be more valuable 5, 10 years down the road. 
And so the person, the, the company, the faceless entity that buys the blighted apartment complex near Greenbrier, for example, and just rents out crappy apartments and, oh, I don't have to fix this. People are going to rent it. They've got nowhere to go, yada, yada, yada. The money just keeps coming in. The value just keeps going up. There are no repercussions for disrepair or blight. You keep it minimally occupable. Is that a word? You keep it minimally livable. There's a good word. And you'll continue to have folks living in it. And in the meanwhile, when you're ready to cash out because you're sick of dealing with the complaints, you sell it, you've made a hefty sum of money, and you didn't have to shell out anything to do business. It's almost too good to be true. So I'm going to remind you, in that opinion piece today, there was a link that they gave that I'll put in show notes today to reach out to your representation at the state level to ask for something to be done. We'll have the open states link so that you can demand reform. Whether you do or don't live in an apartment community like this, it's in your interest. It's in all of our interest to see to it that these blighted, neglected properties are better taken care of or forced sold to someone who will take care of them. Not just for the tenants, but for adjacent property rights, for bringing down crime rates in Atlanta, Metro Atlanta, and the state. It's in all of our interest that we do this, and we should hold our state legislators and our governor accountable to bringing up these blighted communities. Again, I'll share all that on the Ron Show site. We'll have a show notes blog today at ronshowatl.com. Back after this on America One Radio. I'm hoping you've heard me say this before. I am actually also a realtor with eXp Realty. And you can learn more about me and my business at ronontheal.com. Or you can call me if you have questions about buying or selling your house. Just want to find out what your home's worth. 843-283-0078. Actually, you can get the home valuation done at ronontheal.com as well. And see the latest listings. About to list a nice home down in McDonough in a 55-plus retirement community. Can't wait to tell you a little bit more about that. But what I do want to tell you about is this. Have you noticed, by the way, everybody's been grousing about interest rates rising? They've actually been going down, mortgage rates anyway, for the last few months. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so it's not like historic lows like it was in 2020 and 2021, but still, we are seeing a little bit of a backtrack in mortgage rates. And by the way, lenders are offering buy-down programs that can get that mortgage rate down by one, two, often three percentage points so that you are buying back at the rates folks were buying at in 2021. I'd love to introduce you to some of those lenders. A lot of them, good friends of mine, I can set you up. And then we can start looking for your new place. Give me a call at 843-283-0078 or hit me up, ron, at rononthereal.com. Georgia MLS, 396-720. And if you're looking to sell your home, well, I just told you, interest rates are actually kind of crawling back a little bit. So there's a lot more interest in the housing market again. I get it. It's the holidays. You want folks not traping through your house and gawking at your Christmas presents. And that goofy uncle of yours is visiting from Vermont through the holidays to get away from the snow. That's fine. Don't have to list it right now, but it is time to start talking about listing your home if you're looking to do so in January or February, right before the spring market heats up. 
Give me a call, 843-283-0078, ron at rononthereal.com.